welcome to episode six of Local Motive. Today we're talking to Reza Safavi, who is an associate professor of arts at Washington State University. Now, Bianca got to know a little bit about Reza from interviewing him for a piece about Thomas Grocery and Pump on Hyperallergic, which I believe published in early March 2023. Bianca, tell me about Thomas Grocery and Pump. What is it actually? Well, it is a 90-year-old building hidden on the west side of U.S. Highway 89 in Sterling, Utah. Sterling. Where's that? It is in the San Pete Valley. Oh, I know that place. Kind of where Ephraim is. Mm-hmm. You went to Snow College. I if you're did. familiar with that. Go Badgers. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's, it's the Badgers. Someone chose that. Okay. Yeah. Um, I didn't have a lot of school pride. I didn't go to any uh, baseball games. I almost said I didn't go to any video games. <laughs> I went to a lot of video games. <laughs> Okay, but what's inside the building? What is the purpose of Thomas Grocery and Pump, and why was Reza interested in it? So he was actually prompted by a granary arts fellow named David Lindsay to create works about the Sand Peak Valley. So he took on the assignment. He drove all the way from Washington, where he is based, to Utah in search of a story to tell. Luckily, he came across this 90-year-old building that's kind of falling apart. So he went to the town not even knowing what he would find. No, no. As a true artist, just looking for something to inspire him. And, you know, I really liked being able to get to know him through this specific exhibit because it's not the only time Reza has created a piece based off of the location. He's oftentimes prompted to go to a city and, like, base a piece off the location. Yeah, even when we talked to him about his piece, Ola, Texas, which, I want to describe what that is. Oh, that one's fun. And Reza gets into this in the interview, but it's it's basically, it's very complicated to describe. There's a bucket in the middle, there's a robotic arm on the top, there's a a hairdryer hairdryer attached to it, facing to the ground, and on the ground surrounding the bucket are two hula hoops with ping pong balls mm-hmm. kind of corralled within these these hula hoops and yeah, the like two sections and the arm goes around and blows air kind of sporadically not necessarily like consistently just to move the balls yeah, what triggers along it? i'm not sure probably a good question for reza in the future he kind of gets into this in an interview but that one's also kind of speaking into the location i know he went to antarctica i think yeah antarctic. that caught me off guard again i really loved getting to know him through thomas grocery and pump because it was kind of just like here is this very talented multimedia artist who has been doing work for decades has using has been using technology to tell stories to make art to discover new ways of describing something and really interesting visually kind of confusing ways to construct some sort of object or some sort of digital reinterpretation or just an experience of an experience yeah and that is exactly what <clears throat> Thomas Grocery and Pumpwit is so let me describe what that exhibit actually looked like it was a video loop projected onto the wall of the CCA building in Granary Arch, which is the Christian Cabin Gallery. It's like a little like a little house next to it. Mm-hmm. It's a little house next to it, and there's all sorts of through lines that make this exhibit in particular special. But it is a video loop projected onto the wall. In the video, it is a digital reinterpretation of this building, of the Thomas Grocery and Pop, which has been a gas stop and a store... When you the, say digital recreation, do you mean like a video? He, uh, Safavi used photogrammetry to take digital portraits of the building at every angle. So he combined hundreds of images with 3D scanning, technology triangulation, 360 
degree video, and he created a realistic depiction of the building's current facade and infrastructure. But in addition to that, he added these hills, trees, greenery, kind of made it this like magical storybook little mm-hmm. cottage in the woods, but it's really just that building. Mm, so it's like a 3D model, but like embellished, mm-hmm. there's flourishes added to it. It almost looks post-apocalyptic with some sort of tone of like hopefulness, like the world is restarting. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, this song, It Ain't Easy Being Green, plays. The owner, Lily Thomas, who passed away in 93 and tended to that store her entire life, most of it, had actually a regular that came through the store who was happened to be the famous actor Wilford Brimley. He sang the song Being Green. That in conjunction with the video playing, that song being on loop, it really takes you back in time. The way that we were able to be teleported to this world was through the way Reza uses technology to create art. Yeah, and talking to him, I mean, even from the beginning, his story about some of his, like, earliest kind of art-making memories, it's, his work is all just so playful. It feels like it's all stemmed from that place from his childhood. Yeah, that we get into in the interview. Yeah, I think a lot of themes that we're gonna touch on is what role does science and technology have within art? I feel like it's the kind of art that makes you really want to meet an artist, so I'm glad that we got to. Exactly. So, let's dive into our conversation with Reza. So, my name is Reza Safavi, and I'm primarily a multimedia artist. I work with a range of technologies and medium, and I have been working for the last, well, I'm 45 now, so I've been I've been working for a while. Yeah, really looking forward to chatting with you both. So the first question I have is, how did technology start taking a role within your art? And did you start with a different medium and then start incorporating technology, or did you always work? include them together? Well, I think my, I have to look back and really think about when I was a kid. It really comes to, when I, when I think about how I got into art and technology, it really came down to me. There was a couple of experiences that I had. One uh, experience that really stood out was I was about nine years old and my mom, it was my birthday and my mom had bought me this uh, model rocket. One of the ones where you can you can purchase and and you have to assemble it's in, with balsa wood and usually there's a little parachuter on the top and and these things kind of fly up in the air so i had being a kid i saw this I opened up my present i'm like oh i've got to put this together right and so i kind of figured it out pieced it together and it's sitting there now on the the table i think it was a kitchen table and I'm kind of looking at it and 45 minutes has gone by you know it's still probably 8 30 in the morning you know <laughs> I'm thinking I, what what do I do now? And of course, at the time, uh, I'm sure my mom purchased this, not even thinking that it did anything else. I'm, I'm not quite sure. So being the kid that I was, I start searching around. Meanwhile, my mom's kind of on the phone and I start searching around and I, I put this together and I realized that at the bottom, there, there are these two little wires that are shooting out the bottom of I guess, the rocket part of this. I had this in the living room and I realized that I had a, I had these two alligator clips that were attached to an adapter that you plug into the wall. And so I kind of put two and two together. And so I, 
my mom's on the phone in the living room. I put it by the, you know, the outlet by the, the living in the living room on the carpet and two alligator clips, clip them on these two little leads at the bottom of this rocket and plug it in to the wall thinking what might happen or not thinking at all, obviously. And so this thing ignites and it, it shoots up and it hits the ceiling. It marks a hole in the ceiling. And then from the ceiling, it dives down onto the couch and it lights the couch on fire. And so what's happening right now, I start screaming. My mom's on the phone, not knowing what's going on. And there's smoke sort of filling the room. <laughs> you know, luckily nothing happened. The thing, it ended, it it stopped. I mean, it, it probably lasted, you know, quite a while because these things are known to shoot way up uh, into the sky anyway. And so it burnt a big hole in the couch. And, and, and that was that. So I, you know, when I think back to art and technology, I sort of think about, you know, what I do now in relationship to that story. And I think there's a number of things that still relate today. <laughs> I would say there's there's a few things, but that one really sticks out. I think the other thing is, is really in that vein, I think growing up, I never, I had parts of things, but I never had, I never had things that actually worked. I should just say it. And, and that's the nature of technology. It never really works. But growing up sort of playing with Lego, but the Lego was never part of kits and, and, and that led to a lot of creativity. We had a 13 inch television and my parents used to pull the the actual it was a Sony Trintron and it was a cool TV at the time 13 inch right uh, smaller than a laptop but it had it was so analog it had one of these devices that you you actually turned like that uh, you actually turned and that would change the channels but you could in fact pull that device out and then no one could use the television and growing up being from Canada uh, channel three was the channel that really had there was, it was sort of a knowledge network or something. So they left it, they turned it to channel three and pulled this uh, device out. And so as a kid, of course, I would get in there with pliers and, you know, turn the channel. And so, so I think there, there was always this sort of, in my upbringing, there was always things that didn't quite work and, and, and these barriers that I, you know, as a kid, you're just, you, you know, whatever you get put in front of, you're always trying to figure out how to manipulate and bend, right? So, so that, that's how I would sort of answer that question. I got to say, that's a pretty good origin story. <laughs> I just lit my mom's couch on fire one day. Right, but what, right. what I'm hearing too is that, you know, that childlike curiosity is really something that you didn't let go. You're right. still using that. I think really thinking about now and, you know, obviously I did extend and start working with technology in art school and we did have a few opportunities for that, mostly film and video and then being introduced to a few things. But that was before the DIY movement really wasn't there. At the time when time, I have to think about my connection to technology and how that changed because of certain reasons. You know, those reasons that are very important to me are access, the ability to work with others and learn from others. And those things really, you know, allowed me to kind of push forward. And a common theme that I noticed within your project spanning all the way back to 2003, that's the, <laughs> that's the oldest stuff I could find. But I noticed that there was a common theme that tied them all together, which was basically how technology shapes the human experience. And I'd love to know a little bit more about how technology shapes like your everyday life and how does that spur inspiration? How does that work with you as a person, but also you as an artist? This one, I, I sort of have to look 
back a little bit as well and maybe think about my relationship to art and technology and and sort of what I'm I'm thinking about these days but really you know I was born on Vancouver Island so on an island and kind of surrounded by nature and an environment that allowed me to explore and thinking about that but also I'm half uh, Iranian my father was from Iran and he immigrated I think to Canada in the 60s and 70s and growing up I was part of a multicultural family. I also grew up around, say, Persian carpets and that were brought, you know, by hand over. And those influences made me think a lot about how we are connected, being from an island and then sort of some of the influences from the East. I've always thought, I think in my practice, how things are connected at so many levels. You know, water is a big player in this, sort of that connection to water and how we are connected through water. Sometimes that played out in my work and also my thoughts around the practice of art and and technology as it relates to how technology has impacted the environment and our major concerns about how it's damaged the planet. So I'm very much working in technology these days, but the same time, I'm I'm always really thinking about how that's playing a part in coming back. For example, if I come back to Vancouver Island and I see smoke uh, just all across the ocean, and I go, "Wow, I've never seen. I never saw this when I was a kid." You know, and that's related to forest fires up north and things like that. But this is where where we're living now, and we're all seeing the impact of all of these wonderful things that we see uh, related to technology. But r- really, I feel like I'm at a point, especially in my relationship to how I work with art and technology, to be making work surrounding you know environmental concerns and things like that. What are some examples of recent pieces that you feel have communicated what you've observed? I've done a number of pieces starting in 2012. I started working collaboratively and this comes back to actually how technology can allow people to work collaboratively. And 2010, I was in Madrid. I was working at a media lab. The media lab had a prompt and the prompt was to create collaborative projects surrounding environmental concerns around Ciencias del Barrio. And so it was Science of the Neighborhoods in Madrid. And we had a group of artists and designers, architects and writers, and we had a good little group, created a project surrounding how we could explore what's in the water, in the ponds, the local ponds, fountains around Madrid. That really opened up a lot for me because I was already in this hacking world, hacking with art and technology and this DIY movement. We created early on a sort of a biosensor, in fact, that was called LilyPod. And this LilyPod inside, we hacked a couple of sensors, like a pH sensor and some temperature. Nowadays, you can find these things readily available. Like the whole, it's changed so much, biosensing. Anyway, we had created this thing called LilyPack and it were there were tools in it. It was part educational. It was part for outreach, but it was also part of, it was an art project. So we, the idea was you could take this lily pod and put it, had a little green pod and a light and you put it in a pond. And then through Bluetooth, you could connect up and find out what was happening in the water. We were doing some other bioremediation things that just were analog kind of testing and stuff like that. And we, you know, we created this. To me, I felt like Wow, this is interesting how through community-based project, now you might call it a citizen science-based project because there's 
there's a lot more around, right? But at that point, it was very much artists and designers and activists coming together to make this. And, and that was really important for me to see how, for one, to work collaboratively and in another way to really be able to see some, something take shape in, in another way. So I've continued art and science. So I'm doing a project right now that's somewhat related. I was in the Arctic last April, in fact, right around this time. And I was working with microbiologists and was doing a number of things. I also do a lot of performance work. I'm kind of adding some things in here, but that's very important also for my practice in order to work things out, make sure I can make sure I can kind of interpret an experience in multiple ways in order to make work about it. I think that's very important. But anyway, I, I think there's a line of work. I can just let, name them. There's one on my website. You can check it. It's called Dispersant. It was an early work in 2010 that relates to large oil spill of that moment. And then I, I've worked on another one called Tidal Wanderings that it's more of an interactive gesture-based artwork that allows the person who's experiencing the work or a participant, I guess you could say, experience and sort of change the work, but they take the form of this element on the screen and it kind of takes them through tidal pools. Yeah, the, the most recent project I'm working on is really exciting because we're able to see how now science is becoming more accessible. We're always used to thinking about, well, artists working with science, there's a number of amazing things happening right now in bio art festivals around the world. Everyone's interested right now in how we can work together to solve bigger issues. But at the moment, that accessibility that we had early on in the technology now is becoming more accessible to for artists to, in fact, work in this field and use it as their medium. And so that's very exciting. Also working with scientists and not doing everything, but creating some really interesting collaborations to explore why. What is it that art and scientists kind of do that it's similar? Is there anything, in fact? And I think I've come to the conclusion that through conversations and, and things like that, I, I really think there's some elements of the unknown, our curiosity, the unseen, and, and where that's taken us even in the last few years in science. But maybe these practices were already there. Well, definitely, they're already there through various cultures and, of course, indigenous cultures. And I think we're all starting to come to the table at the same time. And that's what's so exciting about now. So you can see me as I'm talking, I'm trying to connect things, right? But it, it, in fact, that's how I work with various media. Yeah, you're trying to put the pieces all together and understand the anatomy and physiology of everything, essentially. Like, how do the pieces work? But how does it come to life, right? When you talk about your original desire to figure out this rocket and see what happens if you add clips to it, that is a lot of kind of what art is. It's, I see this thing that I, I did together. What if I added this medium or what if I added this story to it? That's kind of the same thing as scientists are doing. They're just like, oh, I know how to, I don't know. I have no idea how science works. I'm, I'm assuming they're putting cells together and adding stuff dies to them. I don't know. Yeah. It's a lot of experimentation, yeah. curiosity, yes. and trying exactly. to flesh out a thought through the materials that you're provided, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I agree with what you're saying. It, and looking at your work res, it's, it, it feels like it's finding a way to sort of like artfully events connections that are there, but not literally sort of finding an abstract way to represent the things that the way things relate to each other. Mm -hmm. um, which is, I feel like what I'm doing in, in writing a lot of the time, like that's also how my mind sort of tinkers with the things in front of it. So I find it very kind of soothing to look at and interact with. But I think one thing also that 
all of it has in common is right. You're, you're immortalizing a thought, you're immortalizing a feeling, a concept. And like, for example, with your work, let's use Thomas Grocery and Pump as, for, as an example, you're making that place last for all of eternity in its video form, even if it's in a, the form in which you made it was somewhat fictional. It's still your version of how you wanted to see it and like telling that story forever. And that's the same thing with writing. That's the same thing with coming up with a theory within science. You're, you're immortalizing the concept of something. Making no, it last forever. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I see those connections. And, and I think as well, when you, you think about science at this point, there's a lot of outreach components in science where scientists are asking, can we can artists please, you know, work with us? It's really moved past that point of saying, oh, can you just, can we, can you work with us so you can visualize what we do, right? So I think we're at a point where we have this opportunity to say, there's not as much funding out there, but in fact, because there's always so much more funding in science, but in fact, hey, no, I I want, I, I need the scientists actually to do some work for me, you know, in this way. And, and so the, that becomes exciting. And so there are opportunities that I have right now that, that I'm excited about in this vein, because, you know, for a while, the last 10 years or so, there's been a number of amazing po possibilities and, and works that artists have been doing with scientists that, that excite me. But I think, you know, that, that sort of outlook in how we as artists, writers approach uh, content uh, is so important, how we address or how we, you know, how we tell stories or how we make up, like you said, maybe make up your own or, you know, include a bit of both. I think it's so important for us because like we know, we might see and know something at the moment, but is it in fact what we actually see or know in the sense of maybe in a few years, there's definitely going to be another approach, another way, because something else has been explored through technologies and they found out, oh no, in fact, you've been missing the whole sort of ideas. You know, there are moments we can interpret, but we have the ability to possibly show or expand on another side or another point of view. Point of view is equally, or perspective is equally valid. You know, that's really what's driving a lot of my work yeah, at this point. Yeah. And I think it's important to, you know, like you said, even if you're eventually reaching a point where someone needs to like correct that you, at least you establish a picture, like you have to have a starting point somewhere there. And something I was going to say about what you said about immortalizing things is I think that also assumes that there's going to be good stewardship of art and like archival work for it. Uh, and also that the formats are lossless. I, I feel like that gets into some interesting ideas about what it means to like be a caretaker of this kind of stuff and how do the things that we assume are going to last need maintenance from both kind of like you were just saying both from like a scientific and like fact-finding perspective but also from like a more soulful like art making perspective and then also from just like a logistical how do we take care of this physically and how do we make sure that even electronic data just maintains it's what it is and you know i guess coming back to thomas and some of the work i'm doing now um I've been doing a lot of 3D scanning of objects and things, particularly with Thomas Grocery and Pump. It was one example of that where you are, you, you're all of a sudden this, this object exists in another format now. It could be archived in another way. And that story can be told of, of Lily and, and sort of the amazing life she led and, and that. And, uh, but again, it's not a doc, documentary. There is room, um, again, how we approach. And I think my thoughts really around that were, were quite like, 
similar to to what you were you're sort of describing there. In fact, this will be an archive in some way. You know, this is an archive of this place, you know, and it had to incorporate multi, it had to be multi-sensory and then maybe take a little bit of my interpretation of what was happening at the time and and that and include things that related to kind of tell this story in a way that someone maybe 5,000 years from now, uh, years from now we'll be, we'll be looking at, and this is really, really thinking about this in some of the same way when I go and I go, I've gone to the Arctic and scanned icebergs and they're being incorporated into this multimedia piece. And I'm sort of thinking about the same time. One, these may never exist again, right? Like these, these beautiful ice forms may never exist, but uh, also what it, what it means now that it's digital. Have we solved anything? <laughs> I wanted to tell you that they turned the Thomas Grocery and Pump into Airbnb. Is that right? Yeah, I think it may be because of your piece. It's a recent <laughs> thing, but they're renting oh. it out for $75 a night. <laughs> what, a, what an amazing idea. I wish it was an Airbnb when I was there, when I could have stayed. <laughs> well, we they didn't stayed. do much to it. So uh, we were actually going to stay there because yeah, I was I got I... so excited when I found out. And there's no bed. You're sleeping on a couch. Um, okay. <laughs> so it's not necessarily modified. I think it got a lot of attention and they're like, well, let's just let's yeah. Just modify it. Yeah. Why not? Why not modify it? And then, you know, I, I think there's room for for play and and also why not? It's no longer groceries are needed. Airbnbs are needed more. People need to stay places. You know? And I think how, how great. Well, I just want to ask you how you conceptualize a piece. And once the idea is fleshed out, how do you go about describing something that is pretty abstract? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good question. I think the way I really flesh out a piece is I have to look at it from many, many perspectives. I know that the viewer is going to be looking at the piece and I'm encourage I try to make it in a way that I encourage interpretation and possibly a lot of my interactive works in fact require some user response or whether it be a sensor or something that again whether it be computer vision or something that in fact may shift the piece or change the piece I really think about that and, and in fact what that interaction is and and how the viewer might be connecting things. Of course, this is the exciting part about making the work, like any work. Sometimes how a piece is realized is that you're, you're in fact, it's, it's your research and, and what you putting the pieces together and it sort of comes together in this way. And I, I would encourage, you know, sitting, sitting with the work and making sure that this work is the way you want to, you want to see it and what, what response you would like to receive in some terms. But I think that for me, the work has this, a lot of the work I, I almost required at this point to have specific things, things that I'm thinking about. So that might be environmental factors or, and so I, I really am, I'm trying to hash out a piece in that sense. I like to hear that you do sit with your pieces because the method that you deliver them is so, it's not oftentimes, it's not like a painting that everyone can take a photo of, right? It's an experience that you're offering. I felt that way with your piece that I saw in person, which was obviously the Thomson Grocery Pump. I wrote about it. I was able to describe it and describe what it was like to be there, but it doesn't, I can't sing the song for everyone. I can't show people the tone of the room when you're in there and the 
the feeling that you get when you realize the story of Lily, that that whole experience is something that you didn't need to embody in person in real time. And that is something is well executed when you do sit with the work, when you do think about it, when you do conceptualize it and do the research and do the, the background, the, the interviewing that you did for this piece. Those moments are really well thought out for you for the user experience. I am a little curious though. I mean, when you're thinking about those things, and you're collaborating with other people, what, how can you, how do you express like, this is what I'm thinking. It's a robot with hula hoops and balls <laughs> everywhere. Like You're referring to the pieces called Ola Texas. You know, that was done. It was a solo piece. I was done in 2012 or I think around that time. That piece in particular, I was invited to show a work in, and this is, this is actually leads to some things. Cause I was invited to show work in Texas, I think it was in Tarl Tarleton. I'd never been there. And I, and I think sometimes making a work and, and thinking about a place, you might these days look online and that's fine, but it's so different than a work, a site-specific work. Say you were talking about Poseidon's Pole or Thomas Grocery and Pomp, where you're there, you're in the space, you're experiencing it. And, and most of the time, in most of my work, I, I make sure to spend time by making, I'm asked to make work about a specific place, or I, in fact, just send work. It has to be site-specific in some way. And normally I like to be in the place in the case of going to the Sanfi Valley, that was important for me. But it, in this sense, Ola, Texas was more, you know, a lot of times when, you know, uh, the work I'm making might relate to a current event or something that's happening, obviously, you know, that had been happening for years and years surrounding migration. And I've done a lot of work actually uh, surrounding that again it's my my connection to water my connection to how we we sort of flow in the world and so Ola Texas just tapped it's more of a sculptural piece interactive piece was a, it was about that it was about the this in some aspects this I don't want to say it was like a panopticon but in fact it was in the fact it rang that way where there were I have to think back but there was a motor that was turning that was connected centrally and around that there was hula hoops that were surrounding that device and there were ping pong balls colored ping pong balls surrounding that and as you approached it there was a blow dryer that was almost rotating so it was almost to simulate a border in fact that that was in fact rotating and as as you approached it it would blow the, it would turn the hairdryer on and blow the ping pong balls around and it sort of disperse them in different areas. I, I think at the time I was really thinking from afar and that's not what I always like to do. And it was less of a community engaged piece, but at the time it was interactive in a sense that someone could approach it. I haven't talked about that piece in a long time. Thank you Reza for taking the time today to talk to us. Thank you. That was our conversation with Reza. I had a really good time. It was really cool to hear about his childhood and how he got started within, yeah. you know, his little shenanigans. That was a very relatable story. And like I said earlier, it feels like all of his art is just kind of a continuation of that energy. If you want to get a look at the wide range of Reza's work, I think it spans all the way back to 2002. Yeah, he said he'd been going for like 20 years, right? Mm -hmm. You can check it out on his website, hi, H-I hyphen 
Reza, R-E-Z-A.com, or his Instagram, at Rezgram, which is brilliant, R-E-Z-G-R-A-M. You can tell he got the handle pretty early on in the game. Yeah. He's got a good name. (laughs) Congrats. So, I think the biggest thing that I want to discuss after that interview is the connection of art and technology and how they work together, what they have in common, Mm -hmm. and how they're elevating each other. Because I do feel like Reza made a point that art used to be used to tell the story of science, but now science is being used to tell the story of art. Mm. (laughs) I I feel like you just made that up. No, he did say that. Is that what he said? Yeah, he said previously, like, scientists will look to artists to draw the human anatomy for them, to draw the artwork of what the work that they're doing, to describe what they're doing. Now things are shifting in a way that (laughs) you still don't believe me. This is part of the interview. Was I in that same interview? (laughs) Yes. Um, Okay, well, here's something that it did make me think about. I think I brought it up before, but in January on Slug, we published an article about In Search of Blue Sky, which was kind of like an art installation piece on our downtown track system here in Salt Lake by Wendy Wisher. It was the only name I can remember right now. She worked with a couple other people from the University of Utah. Basically, they installed some like public art pieces on tracks to sort of um, prompt people to think about air quality and... There are um, measurement devices on on tracks that can sort of measure the the air quality as it moves through the town. Um, so it's this interesting confluence of art and technology where it's this example of art and technology kind of intersecting art and science, really, because there's a benefit to people engaging with the art from a scientific perspective where it's like collecting data and people are interfacing with that data. It sort of prompts them to care about it more. And I feel like you can see some of that dynamic in some of his works where science is engaging art to kind of engage the soul a little bit more and to like give a face to the data so to speak yeah i really recommend looking at his website and just like taking some time to look at his project another thing that was interesting that he mentioned i feel like my ears always perk up at the mention of grants ever since our grants episode and he was talking about how he feels like uh, there's this feeling that there's not a lot of money for arts but in fact there is because there's always money for science and so by like finding that intersection you can find a lot of Mm. opportunity to both do something interesting and also maybe find a way to fund things yeah i mean i was really interested in his environmental storytelling through his art as well so i think that's kind of a foothold he's gotten probably the reason he went to antarctica to go get you know these scans of large icebergs are they called icebergs what else would they be glaciers glaciers yes so i think that that foothold in in being able to be like i am making art but i'm also creating a way to digest information about what's happening to our earth right now is is a really interesting perspective i think he's in a very special spot to be able to have a foot in in both worlds it's like manifesting sort of the the way it existed in the world like giving it both like some abstract and literal mm-hmm. representations i i really like interacting with this kind of art it wears its dynamics on its sleeve and you can see the ways that it's interacting but it's also not often like 
being explicit about what those things like quote unquote mean so I feel like it's very inviting it just sort of is easy to be curious about therefore just like a lot of the stuff asking you to I mean all art is kind of asking you to interpret it I don't know there's something specifically that I think I said this in the interview just sort of like tickles or soothes my brain about seeing with seeing stuff like this like a, a person interacting with the world in this way something that's really interesting is that the way he talks about making art is or what originally drew him to making art through technology and science is his interest in taking things apart and putting them back together, figuring yeah. out how they work. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I feel when I look at his work. It's like you said, it looks pretty obvious, like how, what pieces are working together, but it's also like, how are they working together? Mm-hmm. You know, why and like what's motivating the interaction? Yeah. And like, why choose a blow dryer to push around ping pong balls. Mm-hmm. What thought process happened there to tell that story? It makes me want to take apart what he had done. And it's pretty laid bare, too. It's not like it's trying to hide those aspects of it. I guess, okay, here's a thought. I feel like with a lot of visual arts, framing is really important. Like, mm-hmm. the you know, the literal frame, but also the, the way that um, we contextualize the art and show it to other people. How was that framed? It was a projection onto a wall. Mm-hmm. So it was vulnerable to the surface that it was being projected onto, which I believe was like a cement surface. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also something that is intentional with his work. He also creates other projections. For example, he did a projection like within a cave once, and that was like mm. a, an installation piece. He wants that's so interesting the location, the space to give back Mm -hmm. and to work with what he is introducing with it so he's also kind of having trying to have this like organic interaction Mm -hmm. happen and the viewer just observe that yeah there's something so unassuming about that um very simple decision to you know like literally map onto a surface and and let it be a part of the way that something like physically protrudes out at you that I find very appealing. And that is interesting, art without its frame, without aesthetic to give it that pedestal, I guess. We should do an episode on frames. We should. That's a good idea. Framing, I, I need a frame. Yeah. I'm looking for a frame. This could be our way to get you a frame. Mm, I think I can get this sponsored, <laughs> a frame sponsored. I need something framed. This episode is... F- <laughs> This episode's sponsored by Framey. Mr. Frame. Old Man Frame. <laughs> the Frame Depot? Okay. <laughs> Framing Gorge. Okay. We highly recommend you go to Reza's page and check out Yeah, go check all out his, his work. Art. There's so and much stuff there's there. There's so much you can spend hours looking through. Well, <laughs> thank you for listening <laughs> to episode six of Locomotive. We are always open to story ideas and if you have someone that you would like us to interview if you would like to be interviewed send us a dm on instagram at locomotive podcasts or email us at locomotive slc at gmail.com and one day we will get these up okay the goal is that on our 10th episode i will get these all up on youtube oh that'd be fun and start making little videos of our interviews and things like that but for all those youtubers out there mm-hmm. if you haven't subscribed yet please subscribe or follow one of our accounts or pages or on everything have a wonderful rest of your friday happy easter happy for those for those who celebrate happy easter xbox <laughs> thank you bye bye Thank you.